Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. You're reading, you're hearing the first 13 verses of this chapter. Deuteronomy 19, starting at verse 1. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you dispose them and settle in their cities and in their houses, you shall set aside three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord God gives you to possess. You shall prepare the roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God will give you as a possession so that any manslayer may flee there. Now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously, as when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, And the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him. Because the, the way is long and he takes his life, though he was not deserving of death since he had not hated him previously. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall set aside three cities for yourself. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, just as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land which he promised to give your fathers, if if you carefully observe all this commandment, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways always, then you shall add three more cities for yourselves beside these three. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and blood guiltiness be on you. But if there is a man who hates his brother and lies in wait for him, and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he might die. And you shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel that it may be well with you. We'll stop our reading there. As we come to Deuteronomy chapter 19, we come to a new section of Moses' teaching or his message to the children of Israel. This new section begins in chapter 19 and verse 1 and will continue through chapter 22 and verse 8. 
It is a section that deals primarily, though not exclusively, with the Sixth Commandment. And the Sixth Commandment is, you shall not murder. And as we make our way through this section, you will find that Moses gives 15 commands for the promoting and the honoring of life. Of life. Now I know the King James Version of the Bible says the Sixth Commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. But I want to make it clear that not all taking of human life is murder. Not all taking of human life is murder. We need to understand that the Scriptures allow for and under certain circumstances demands the taking of life. There's the idea of self-defense. There's the thought of warfare. There's also the reality against capital crimes, or what we know now as capital punishment. The term that is used here in the Sixth Commandment is never used for any purpose in the Old Testament except to describe a manslayer. It is most com- its most common usage is that of murder, the shedding of innocent blood, is what's in mind here. In the larger catechism, and I meant to put it in your bulletin. I'll try to do that next week. In the larger Catechism, Westminster Catechism, the question is asked, what sin is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? And the answer, quite lengthy, but pretty much covers every area, says this, the sin forbidden in the Sixth, the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others except in the case of public justice, lawful warfare, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of the preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desiring of revenge, all excessive passion, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat and drink and labor and recreation, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatever else tends to lead to the destruction of the life of any. Now that's a lot. You thought it just said, thou shalt not kill. But it encompasses all those things. And it sets before us the reality of how much God treasures life. And the judgment that will come with the shedding of what we call innocent blood. And so when we come to a passage 
like Deuteronomy 19, we have God expressing how much He treasures human life. And it's demonstrated in the fact that He cares for the individual who kills someone unintentionally and by the killing of an individual who sheds the blood of the innocent. We see how much God treasures life when you consider how He cares for someone who kills someone else unintentionally, but also by the killing of the individual who sheds the blood of the innocent. We live in unusual times, don't we? Oftentimes, those who are pro-abortion are anti-capital punishment. And those who are anti-abortion are often pro-capital punishment. That's the world we live in. But the Word of God reminds us that God treasures all life. And there's something about taking another person's life that is different from any other crime. Because in taking someone's life, in the taking of innocent life, there is the taking of the image bearer of God Himself. Man, I know it may not be popular, but man is different than animals. Gorillas are not made in the image of God. Elephants are not made in the image of God. Only one thing God created that was made in His image. Remember, He told us, do not make for yourselves any graven images. Why? Because God Himself made His own image bearer when He made man, when He made human life. And so, to t shed the blood of an innocent man is to take the blood of an image bearer of God. But it's also different than any other crime in this way. How do you replace it? If, if you're guilty of embezzlement, restitution can be made by paying back what you stole. If you kill someone... How do you make restitution? Oh, you could say, well, I will take you to court and sue you for so many millions of dollars. But does that really bring restitution? And so we need to take seriously this whole area of the shedding of the blood of the innocent. We're living in a time and in a culture where our nation rejoices in taking of human life. Especially life in the womb at any time. And we consider that a wonderful liberty that no one should take away from us.
I remember a time when they would talk about abortions being that of getting rid of just a piece of glob. It's just tissue. It's not a person. We're living in a time in which men boldly stand up and even declare no woman should be forced to carry their child through birth. I heard it this week. We've become so used to it, we no longer even refer to it as a glob or a blob or whatever else you want to call it. I quote, No woman should be forced to carry a child full term. And we've become used to mass shootings. We're no longer shocked when we hear about an active shooter that takes the life of a number of children in a classroom. In fact, it's amazing to me, I was looking up some of these statistics and looking at some things in light of this, and most of the articles that I, that I read spoke about especially in places like Chicago, Philadelphia right now, St. Louis. And I just read an article about New Orleans has now become the murder capital of the world. And you know what they blame it on? Gun violence. Gun violence has gotten out of hand. I own a gun. My gun is in a safe. My gun is not in a safe because it's violent. You know, I don't keep it in. A, you know, I, I, I imagine gun violence. I imagine putting my gun in a safe and it's it's fighting back. Don't you put me in there? No, no. We just don't regard human life as important anymore. It's not a matter of gun violence. It's a matter of murder. People taking life. And so we need, to, we need to consider life as precious and that which ought to be treasured. I got off my notes a little bit, so let's get back to where we're looking at. But I think we need to treasure life. And here in this passage of Scripture, Moses reminds the people that God treasures human life. And so as we open up these 13 verses, let me do it under four headings. First of all, in the first three verses, there is the call for the city of refuge. The call for the city of refuge. There are already appointed three cities of refuge, even before they enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy 4, 41-43. The east side of the Jordan... There's already been established these cities of refuge. But Moses now is thinking about when they cross the Jordan and enter into that land. Now notice, there are three things he says about this command to have the cities of refuge. Number one, when it was to take place. 
It says that when you go to when the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you dispose of them and settle in that city. So, so when you go into the town, when when you go into the territory of the promised land, this land which God sovereignly gives to you, then you're to set up these cities. That's when it's to take place. What was to take place is the next thing. What was to take place? These cities which the Lord your God gives you to possess in the midst of this land, they were to be set aside, three of them. And these three cities were to be evenly distributed among the territory throughout the land so that no one needing such a city would be at a disadvantage. They were to so set up these cities that if I lived on the east side, there would be some city close to the east side, and I wouldn't have to travel all the way to the west side in order to get to the city. It, it was to be evenly distributed so that no one was at a disadvantage because of its location. When? When you go into the land. What? Set aside three cities. Why? Why? So that any manslayer may flee there. These were to be cities of protection and safety and security of any individual who took a human life. Again, it's to show life is precious. And we're to take this matter greatly at hand. We're to consider it seriously. And, and, and he points out that there's a difference between unintentional taking of a life and that of taking a life from a hateful heart. There's a difference between the unintentional and the taking of a life from a hateful heart. So there we see the call for the cities of refuge. Secondly, notice in verses 4 through 7, the use of the cities of refuge. The use. These cities would have a particular function in the lives of the children of Israel. In this passage, we are told of the identity, the illustration, and the intention of these cities. First of all, the identity. Who's to use these cities? Who's the individual that would need such a city? And he was described as a manslayer. A manslayer. What, what's a manslayer? What does that term mean? Well, Moses doesn't left, leave you wondering. What, is, what does he mean by manslayer? Moses goes on to define what a manslayer is. He kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously. There was no premeditation involved. All right. That's the identity of who this city was to be used for. But then he goes on and he says, okay, what's a manslayer? It's someone who slays someone unintentionally. And then he says, let me give you an illustration. An illustration. 
these men go into a forest. And they're friends, and they're there to cut down a tree. And as they're cutting down a tree, the man swings his axe. And the iron head of the axe comes flying off and hits his friend, and that kills him. This is such a person who can flee to these cities. Unintentional death. We're all familiar with them. I know a man mowing his lawn. Hits a stone. The stone flies out from the lawnmower. Hits the neighbor's child in the head and kills him. It wasn't planned. It was a horrible event. It's one of those events that are, that are hard to even know how, how you go on after that. I have another friend who in 2011, his son was going to school, traveling north on 75 in Cincinnati. And as he's going to school this particular morning, coming north on 75 was a big truck. And this big truck lost one of its wheels. And the wheel began to roll down the I-75. It hit an embankment, which caused it to fly up in the air. And as it flew up in the air, that wheel landed right on the windshield of Dylan. And it killed him. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't done out of hatred. Now, it may have been done out of neglect. But it wasn't done out of hatred. We read at certain times about children or, or someone picking up a gun and, and thinking it's unloaded. But it's not. And it goes off and it kills someone. There are these unintentional deaths that take place. And, and, and Moses gives us this illustration, a man swinging an axe and the head falls off and, and it hits his friend and he dies. So what's the intention then of these cities of refuge? What's the intention? Well, it's to be a place of safety and protection. It's to be a place of safety and protection against the revenger of blood. You see, when something like this happens, our emotions become affected. You, you could imagine that, that perhaps the spouse or the, the parents or, or a brother uh, of this friend hears that, that, that your, your friend here has died. How did he die? Well, they were out in the woods and the axe head fell off and, and it went flying and it hit him and he died. And you can imagine the father's anger rising up. Well, why did he take care of it? Why didn't he check his axe? Why did... And he goes after the man who swung the axe. And he wants revenge. He wants to get even. He wants his life taken. But to take his life would be to take the life of the innocent man who did not deserve to die. 
And so God has provided these cities of refuge where he could flee and stay and live in safety and be protected from the danger of the avenger of blood. That was the intention of these cities. Well, that's what we would call the use of the cities. Now then notice thirdly with me, the provision for more cities. The provision for more cities in verses 8 through 10. In the midst of talking about these cities of refuge, he then says to them that if the Lord enlarges the territory, and you receive all the land that He's promised you, you're going to have a larger territory. Therefore, you need to set up three more cities of refuge. Now, now what I find interesting in the midst of this about talking about having more cities of refuge, notice again the condition that is set down for all this to happen. He says to them, if, verse 9, you carefully observe all this command, commandment which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways always, then you shall add three more cities for yourselves beside the three cities. And, and I, I pause here just to again mention the fact that God reminds them once again, you're going to go into this wonderful promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God's going to bless you. He's going to get rid of the other nations. You're going to conquer them. You're going to settle in them. But you must love me and obey me. And if you do, you will know my blessing. And the territory will be enlarged. And you will have need for more cities of refuge. For the safety of those who unintentionally kill someone. But again, our Lord reminds them through Moses of their need to continue to love Him. Don't let that love grow cold and obey His Word. That's the provision for more cities of refuge. Which then leads us fourthly to what I'm just calling the abuse of the cities of refuge. Verses 11 through 13. The abuse is given. Instruction is given here in these verses concerning those who would abuse the city. Now, who were they? Well, we're told here in these verses. But if there's a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities. So here's a man who has shed innocent blood and he's done so with hatred in his heart. It was premeditated. He has determined because of 
maybe an event that took place. There's some reason with hatred in his heart, he wants to kill this man. And he does so. And then he flees to the city. And as he walks into the city, a place of safety, a place of protection, he thinks everything's going to be okay because the revenger of blood can't get me in the city. I'm here. You know? It's, it's like, you know, back in the old days when we used to play tag and we had a place that we'd call safe. You know, this is safe. If you're touching this, you can't be tagged. And, you know, and, and we can be cruel sometimes. You know, that game of tag gets so vicious at times. And, and somebody's running after you. And you touch the thing and you go, nah, nah, you can't get me. Well, that's sort of the picture that we have here. here here's a guy who, is, who has killed someone. He's murdered someone. Premeditated murder. And he runs to the city of refuge. And the revenger of blood comes after him. And he thinks, oh, you can't get me. I'm safe. So what are they to do? Verse 12. Can he get away with murder? Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he might die. You who took the life premeditatively, the elders are to take him out of the city, give him to the avenger of blood, and that man is to die. He's to be put to death. And in fact, we're told you're not even to have pity on this individual. He shed innocent blood. He should be put to death. Even if he ran to a city of refuge. And why? Why is this true? Why, why, why would you be allowed to kill him? Moses says, so that you'll purge the blood of the innocent from Israel, that it may go well with you. If you do not rightfully take care of the person who sheds innocent blood, you are ripe for the judgment of God. And if you want to be kept from that judgment, you will deal with that individual as I have directed you, and you shall put that person to death. When blood is shed and no justice is brought forth, there will be righteous retribution. If you take the shedding of innocent blood lightly, if you take the killing of a man as if it was an animal or something less in the eyes of the court, and you do nothing, you will know the judgment of God. That nation is guilty of shedding innocent blood and that nation is ripe for judgment. That's what Moses is telling them. When you go into this land, you treasure life. You preserve life. You honor life. And if a man 
murders someone else, his life is to be taken. Why? Because he's killed someone in the image of God. But you, so are you if you kill him. He shed innocent blood. This man is no longer innocent. And that is a sober reminder to us again, even as we started this morning, of the importance of treasuring life. And while we're not the nation of Israel... And we do not have the right to be revengers of blood ourselves. The state does have a responsibility of bearing the sword. The state does have a responsibility of seeing these things carried out. And when a nation, when a nation assumes the right to take the life of even the most littlest of human beings as a wonderful liberty to be enjoyed, we better be ready for the judgment of God. When such things happen, we ought not go around singing, God bless America. Because we've become a nation who no longer treasures life. And I believe, and I may be wrong, but I believe at the heart of it all is when we began to allow babies to be destroyed in the womb and we become callous to the taking of that life, which then leads us to becoming callous of taking anybody's life whenever you get in my way or whenever I don't like you, or whenever I just want the thrill of seeing an individual die. We are ripe for God's judgment. And we pray God will have mercy upon us. Well, that's the opening up of this passage. Let me just bring this thing to a conclusion by pointing out several things I think we see from this passage. We see here the importance of justice. In the the things laid out in this text, we see the importance of justice, seeing that right is done and how it's to be carried out. In in this passage, I believe there's another thing I would point out, and that is this. We see the mercy of God in the midst of distress. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Sometimes an event happens, and our emotions are so stirred, and we become so angry that if we're not careful, we will do foolish and sinful things in reaction. 
So, for example, here in this passage, here's a father whose son goes out into the woods with a friend of his, and his friend swings an axe, and the axe head falls off and hits this my son, and my son falls dead. And my first reaction, my emotions, become quite angry. And I want revenge. And if I could, if I could, we might say something like that. If I could just for a few minutes get my hands around his neck. And God in his mercy provides a city where this man can flee so he won't get murdered. And you have time to calm down. And think things out rationally. Recognizing this man did not intend to kill my son. This man did not take my son out in the woods to kill my son. It was, a, it was what we would call a horrible accident. Taking his life isn't going to change anything. And you got time to cool down. While that man's in the city of refuge. I, I say that's a mercy of God. A mercy of God. But the other thing I want to point out from this passage is something even greater. Something even greater. We sang this morning about God being our refuge. A place of protection a place of safety. God is referred to in the Scriptures in Psalm 46, as we, as we saw this morning. And in Hebrews 6, He's referred to as our refuge. If you want to read more about the city of refuge, the cities of refuge, Numbers 35 gives greater detail about these cities of refuge. And, and I came across this, and I'm not even sure who to give credit to. It's not mine. I'll tell you that, but I'm not sure whose it is. But I don't want to pretend like it's mine. Right? But, but that this person sort of gives this comparison between God and the city of refuge. He says, first of all, the Bible applies this picture of the city of refuge to believer finding refuge in God on more than one occasion. Secondly, he says, both Jesus and the city of refuge are within reach of a needy person. They were of no use unless someone could get to the place of refuge. So they're within reach of a needy person. But they weren't going to be places of safety unless you arrived at the city. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all. Not just to the Israelites. Even aliens could use the city of refuge. No one needs to fear that they would be turned away from their place of refuge in their time of need. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge became a place where the one in need would live. You didn't come to the city of refuge in time of need just to look around. You lived there. 
Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for the one in need. Without specific protection, they would be destroyed. Both Jesus and the city of refuge provided protection only within their boundaries. Go outside meant death. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. Numbers 35 and verse 25. Those are the comparisons. But there's a crucial distinction. I mean, when you... When we think about God being our city of refuge and we hear what we read in this passage, you understand there's a distinction between the cities of refuge that the man who was involved in the unintentional death of another runs to. He's really an innocent victim. And the refuge that we have in God, you know what the difference is? (laughs) We're not innocent. We are guilty. We are guilty. The cities of refuge help the innocent. It's the guilty that can run to Christ and find refuge. That's quite a distinction. The cities of refuge helped the innocent. And if we think we can run to Christ and find protection because we're innocent, that won't work. But when we recognize our guilt and run to Christ, we find protection and safety and life. Praise God. How thankful we ought to be that God loves us so much that He would take guilty sinners and provide them a righteousness, not their own, but a righteousness of His perfect Son. And by faith, being united to Christ, God looks upon me, and young people, right? He declares me innocent, having a righteousness that I do not deserve. That's the distinction. Well, may God bless our time in His Word for our good. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, again, we are reminded of how much You treasure life. And Father, we would acknowledge that we live in a nation and we're part of that nation that disregards life. That doesn't find it precious. It is not treasured. (coughs) Father, how we pray that You would provide us with civil leaders who love Your truth (coughs) 
so that we could live in a nation where the shedding of innocent life is horrible. And Father, how we pray that we would not remain silent concerning this issue so that we will not know Your judgment upon us, which we so richly deserve, in which in many ways we're experiencing even now. But Father, also how thankful we are for the refuge that we have in You. We thank You that You take the guilty and provide a refuge through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And there may be some here this morning who still live in great danger. They are one breath away. They are one heartbeat away from standing before You. And they're not ready. Father, how we pray this morning, they would realize that there's only one place of safety. And that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And You would awaken them and cause them to turn from their sin and run to Christ by faith. So Father, take Your Word and help it. Use it to be effective in our lives. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.